Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. It feels like it's been a little while since we have spoken. Yeah. We're back together like a, again. Yeah, it feels like a really long time, actually. I think maybe because um, we've both been so busy, it just a day seems like mm-hmm. <laughs> such a long time now. So two days ago seems like eternity. So, yeah. Yes. I heard someone the other day um, talking about preparing for the Easter holidays, which I couldn't believe are going to be upon us very soon. Do you have plans? Are you taking some time off? No, not. I don't usually take time off at Easter because it's just usually school holidays and I, I try really hard to stay away from <laughs> um, having any time off when there's too many kids around. Kids, <laughs> families, expensive airfares, all the yeah. joys of school holidays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about you? No, no plans, no plans. We will be enjoying school holidays, yes, but uh, mm-hmm. just planning to do the staycation, as they say. Is enjoying the right word, Amanda? <laughs> Yes, Rena, it is. <laughs> okay. I'm a happy parent. <laughs> okay, you've only got one, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that does help with the happy. Okay. All right, now let's get into it. Challenges, what has been challenging you this week? So we had very, and again, another interesting occurrence, Amanda, where a tenant had left a wardrobe on common property. They had like a storeroom and I think I think it, it might have been I'm not sure if a notice had gone around to say, you know, we're going to remove it on this particular day. There may have been a notice just in general saying, you know, we're looking at renovating and upgrading the storeroom and if you have stuff, can you please remove it? Um, But no date was given and nothing was particularly itemised in terms of date and time so people would have a deadline to meet. Mm -hmm. And so the committee decided to remove a wardrobe and then the next minute the, you know, tenant said that, well, you know, you had no right to remove it. Mm. You know, I went on, you know, I think it's Gumtree or eBay and it's going to cost $200 to replace. And the committee said, you know, basically you had no right to put it there in the first place without consent. I think a lot of people just did things without even asking. Anyway, and so then there was a claim. I mean, there's so many emails and telephone calls. I mean, you think over this old wardrobe. Anyway, the agent then got involved and pretty much brought to the Owners Corporation's attention the fact that they had no right to dispose of it. And the section of the Act that I'm referring to is 125, which Mm -hmm. is disposal of abandoned goods on common property. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, there's rights given to Owners Corporations to be able to undertake this, but then the regulations then pretty much articulate how that's to be done. Mm -hmm. Regulation 32. um, So applies to goods left on common property, obviously other than vehicles or other things that are permitted by the owners corporation to remain on common property. Mm-hmm. And it says that a notice has to be placed on or near the goods and that there should be a period specified in the disposal notice and it must be not on less than the size of an A4 piece of paper, be in a place where it wouldn't be affected by weather, mm-hmm. be, um, describe the goods and state the date the notice was issued and obviously give a time frame being not earlier than five days before the notice was placed on or near the goods and it's so forth. So I won't go into the rest of the um, contents of that regulation. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure you'll have it on your, your show notes. But 
unfortunately, after back and forth and back and forth, they you know they offered her a hundred dollars rather than two hundred. And yeah, did they follow this abandoned goods procedure? No, no. 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 So I think this is a good lesson. I think for strata managers who perhaps may be asked by their strata committees, or if the manager is aware that the owners corporation is about to do something like this mm-hmm. or if any of your owners who um, are listening want to undertake any disposal of the goods that are common property or seemingly abandoned goods because mm-hmm. I think um, no one knew actually which apartment these, this wardrobe had belonged to, mm. um, they should probably take um, heed because it's back and forth, telephone calls, meetings, et cetera, our time, you know, strata committee time, you know, so they offered them $100, which I think should have been really, you know, more than that because they wanted 200 and I think we spent more than $100 arguing over $100. But anyway, <laughs> no doubt. Um, so it's now, you know, all being sorted out. But just to note that owners' corporations can't really dispose of anything that's abandoned on common property without going through this process. Yeah. Have a very sort of... Um, sort of educated tenant or agent, then um, I think you'll find yourself in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, and it is an involved process and it's quite similar to the motor vehicles yes. process, but it is different. It's in a different section of the regulation. Uh, regulation 32, I will put links to Regulation 32 and also the section of the Act, which is 125, in the show notes. And you do have to have the notice on there for five days, at least five yeah, days. at so, least five days, yeah. And it can't be somewhere where it's going to get wet. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting to be talking about this topic in the context of a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to Beth from Waverley Council about waste disposal. Mm. And I know that the councils have issues, of course, with goods being abandoned on council property. And I think this section of the Act and regulation being designed to empower owners' corporations to deal with a similar problem on the common property. But Mm. query, how much power do you really have when you have to follow this rather involved process and who wants to have junk on their common property for five days anyway? It's At least five days at seven. At least five days, yeah. Yeah, Not only five days, yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, good example of finding yourself in strife when you don't follow that procedure. And as managers, you advise, they decide. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them how to do it right. Whether they follow it or not is up to them. Okay, my challenge for this week. I have a question from a listener and this is Haley asking the question. She says that she lives in a strata property with very low fencing. It's around 1.4 metres. So that sounds a bit lower than our standard 1.8, I think is our fences generally on boundaries. She has privacy and safety issues and she's got young kids who are playing in the backyard and she has proposed raising the fence. It's a common property fence, but no one will support the costs of doing that. And she has asked us, what are her rights to privacy and to ensuring the safety of her children? Now, I said to Hallie that you and Irina would discuss this on the podcast. I can say for one, there is no right to privacy in our legislation, not in our strata legislation. There are privacy principles when it comes to certain corporations, large corporations and personal information and things like that. And surveillance, Amanda, also. like And when it comes to surveillance, yeah. But when it comes to enjoying your backyard and your home, 
there is, as far as I'm aware, no right. It's not in our constitution or anything like that that no. we have a right to privacy and have people not peering over our back fences. So unfortunately, there's nothing in that respect, Haley, that will help you. Safety, I think, and let me know what you think, Rena, may be the avenue to go down, particularly if the fence is not at the standard height. It does sound quite low. In our legislation in New South Wales, if your building has the model bylaw in place that relates to doing work on the common property, that model bylaw says that you basically you can't alter the common property without approval, but you are not prevented from installing a safety device, a structure, a screen to prevent harm to children to protect your lot against intruders or to prevent the entry of animals or insects into the lot. So have a think, Haley, about whether there is something that you might do to the fence that will protect your lot against intruders or prevent harm to your children because subject, of course, to the bylaws that your scheme has in place, it may be that you are permitted to do that and you don't need approval. What do you think, Rena? I think those measures may be useful, Amanda, probably as a secondary option. But I think in the first instance, some of my schemes where like, you know, you've got the ground floor garden apartments, some of them like sort of other sort of small types of bushes or, or things that will grow and provide like a natural screening. Yeah. Um, and we've got this between our neighbours here where I live and in the adjoining apartments. And now it's grown as high as the apartments, which is um, maybe I should find out what the name of their plant is. It's actually quite a nice one and it's... Mm. Um, the roots aren't very intrusive, but also, you know, you might get pots and then you can grow them in pots. So if you don't want to have a sort of permanent thing, you're not good at gardening, you might want to get some pots and grow things. And and those sort of natural screenings, I mean, you know, they're quite effective. They let, you know, you still get the light in, but you're not having this, because I suppose with the structure that perhaps or installing something, it has to be obviously in keeping with the lot that might be expensive. I don't know how yeah, like what sort of fencing there is, but it can be quite costly and then, you know, she, might have to be removed, you know, if she sells a lot or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think a natural way, I think, is a good way to start. Um, yeah. You know, and it might cost, a, at least, you know, they're your plants that you can take with you and move around the garden in the future. And ours was more not for privacy per se initially. It was just to, it was a nice plant along the driveway, but now yeah. it's grown up so high, it needs constant pruning. And I think there's another scheme I just actually went to this week and they actually have a similar thing, the same sort of plant, and that's shared between their boundary of their driveway with, and the adjoining property. So, and that's again growing quite high and you can't see it. So, mm. yeah, so there are two options, I think, Amanda. The initial option could be just some in natural shrubbery. And then, second option, if that's not sort of feasible, is to do something more permanent, like you've suggested. Yep. Excellent. I hope that helps you, Haley. And of course, anybody listening, if you have particular questions, whether it arises from something Rena and I have spoken about on the podcast or something different that you'd like us to address, please do send your questions through. Uh, when I get those, I can generally either direct listeners to an episode that we've already recorded that deals with the question, or I let you know that we have it on our list and we get to it. So there you go. Send in those questions. Wins for this week, Rena. Um, this is quite a liberating one, actually. Oh, a win good. where I actually resigned from a building, and I because they ah. weren't complying with the act, and I just thought to myself, really, I just don't really. To me, it's like you know, in terms of your reputation in, in the marketplace and, and standards that you want to maintain. Um, there's no point when people are challenging, you know, provisions of the act, mm. trying to do things that they shouldn't be, and trying to hide things from you know owners. You know, the, there was this involved actually also 
the collective sale issue and, and the committee were going around doing things, not letting owners know, not letting some owners know things. And Ooh. and also we had a search of the records and because nothing had been sent to us either, the searcher said, oh, you know, it was mentioned back in you know May 2018, I think it was, you know, that there was a, what's been happening. And I said, well, I don't really know. And I, mean, I think someone, that lot was eventually sold, but I don't know if they ever found out about what was going on mm. in terms of the collective sale. And when you think about property prices now and, you know, the stamp duty that people pay, I imagine, you know, unless it's going to be a huge windfall, which I don't think it was in this case anyway, eventually I think the owners, they didn't get enough to get that through. But nevertheless, I just think when you're dealing with um, people that don't want to comply with the law, it's just um, I think some managers perhaps, you know, don't really agree with perhaps what I'm saying. But I think at the end of the day, those sort of clients are putting you at, at risk and um, it just takes one thing to happen and then, then you know, your reputation's shot. And you also, you don't, I, mean, also, I just don't want to manage buildings where people don't do the right thing. So, mm. yeah, so that was a win. I mean, I think most people say, oh, my God, that's not a win because you, you're losing a management fee. It's like, oh my God. no, yeah. not at all. And how did you do it? How did you communicate this to them? Oh, well, we were lucky that our, um, our reappointment was coming up. And I just said that basically, um, we're not going to continue and we're going to resign at the end of the, of the period so that we didn't have to, you know, continue. So the timing was quite good. But I suppose if that wasn't the case, then I perhaps would have gone through the agreement and gone through the clauses and given them three months. I mean, so there's no more such a thing as three months as such, but um, yeah, but I think there are some dispute resolution mechanisms, which, you know, schemes can apply towards a managing agent and vice versa. And it's funny because I had someone call me the other day and they were telling me how terrible their agent was and they want to change. I said, well, have you looked at your agency agreement? And they said, oh, no. And then he had a look and rang me back and said, oh, we've got another year to go. And I said, well, and you need to basically go through the dispute resolution mechanisms. And I said, now the Act actually does assist owners, corporations, you know, through the tribunal to take action if certain things haven't been done. But a lot of people don't want to go through all that dispute resolution mechanisms, which I think, mm. you know, should really be done. But a lot of people don't have time for it. And yeah, well, how can an agent just keep doing that and this and that? And I said, well, I really can't. But, you know, as we know, terminating any contract, whether it's an agency agreement with a Australian managing agent or a lift contract or any other contract, commercial or whatever, normally there are dispute resolution mechanisms that have to be undertaken prior to the next stage being undertaken as well. So Yeah, it is a serious step to terminate a contract, but sometimes we do forget when we're having difficulties to go back to that contract and have a look at what our agent's obligations are. Are they meeting those obligations? Uh, what are the obligations of uh, us as a building? Are we meeting those obligations? And sometimes it can be as easy as pointing out these things. You know, you promised that you would do this under the terms of our contract and you are not doing this, then sometimes that's enough to bring, whether it is a building or whether it is an agent, into line. But we do forget about that document, don't we? Yeah, I think that people do. And I think it's just like, I just want to, you know, terminate, I just want to finish and it's not that easy. Mm, no, not if you, especially not if you have a long contract. And of course, we're limited to three-year contracts now in mm. New South Wales. I see a lot of one-year contracts. I know, Rena, you generally propose a two-year contract. Mm. Yeah, because I think two years, um, especially for a, a new scheme, it takes nearly a year to get your head around the building and, and also to make sure that if there are things that are happening, it does take time. So yeah. by the time you set up the building, um, you want to make sure you have two years. I mean, I know a lot of agents do three, but I don't like to do three because unless I've like 
the ha- building and I are happy together because to me it's like there's no point extending it beyond two years at the most um, mm. in the beginning and then after like uh, if it's a good building and you have a good relationship then to me three years could be fine. A lot of people actually are concerned because at the moment there's a, a company that's transferring ownership from one entity to another and they have to get the consent of the owners corporation by general meeting and mm. it says that the owners corporation can't unreasonably withhold its consent. So, again, if it was a long contract, then you might not want to be, you know, with the other entity. So, yeah, there are sort of advantages and disadvantages in, in sort of whether a term is short or it's um, the maximum yeah. of three years. Yeah, but uh, keeping those lines of communication open mm. is always a good idea, I think, when it comes yeah. to resolving problems. Yeah, Okay, my win for this week. Uh, I think I may have mentioned one of these before, but I'm going to raise it again because it is always a nice win to have when you can negotiate settlement of a claim before having to proceed to litigation. And uh, I was in that position a few weeks ago. I was acting for a lot owner who had experienced some damage to their lot property because of water penetration. The issue had been fixed, so the common property, that part that was leaking had been rectified, but my owner, being an investor owner, had had an empty unit for a few months and had some lost rent and also some contents damage. So they came to me because unfortunately they weren't getting very far communicating directly with the committee and the strata manager. And I sent a couple of letters setting out what the law is. So the section 106, duty to repair and maintain the common property and the right of an owner to claim damages from the owner's corporation where the owner's corporation has failed to meet that duty. And without even having to file, I don't think we even filed an application for mediation. Uh, We reached, yeah, we reached a settlement, a sum of money that my client was happy with and the owner's corporation was least unhappy to part with and happy client and owner's corporation did not have litigation on their hands. So definitely a win. Well, that's fantastic news, Amanda. I think it would be good if a lot of buildings could actually take heed of this sort of advice that you're giving because sometimes, you know, there's no point going to the expense of having, you know, loss of rent claim on top of obviously the damage to common property that would have had to been paid for mm-hmm. by the owners corporation. So yeah. I think sometimes some buildings just either that they don't have the money or they don't want to spend the money or Yeah. I find that these cases are the most smooth where the owners corporation has engaged a strata lawyer who mm. is providing them with sensible advice. Because we know as strata lawyers, if these problems have happened in a building and the rights of owners are now enshrined in the Act, what they are entitled to in terms of recovering their loss and damage, it's in most cases a fairly clear-cut case, you know, unless mm. there's a question around the amount that the lot owner is claiming, then nine times out of ten, you know, there's some compensation to be paid to the owner if they have suffered because of a failure to repair and maintain the common property. So, look, I, I am generalising, of course, and every case is different, but I do find that where there's sensible advice on both sides, then these matters can be resolved fairly quickly. Hmm. I mean, I have had examples of where owners have tried to claim items that really haven't been damaged because of um, the failure to repair and maintain common property. And we actually like have photographic evidence of the stuff and where it was stored, for example. But um, that's another topic for another day because sometimes it's the other way around where sometimes you get some people making spurious claims amount against mm. corporation to try and get some reimbursement or funds, you know, when they really don't have any rights to do so. Yeah, for sure. We do have to be conscious of that. Yeah. 
Okay, I think we are just about ready to wrap up. I will remind everyone while I'm here that the webinar, the Better Buildings webinar that I will be hosting is on the 28th of March at midday. You register over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash webinar. So many of you already registered. I'm really excited for the webinar. We did one last year. It was super fun. Uh, Got to chat to all of you online, answer your questions. We are focusing this time on strata committees, something Rena and I talk about on the Mm. podcast a lot, how a properly functioning strata committee can dramatically improve your experience of apartment living. We're going to talk about election procedures. We're going to talk about the duties of the committee, committee meetings, and I will share with you what the best buildings do when it comes to their strata committees. And Rena and I will have something special for you. On the 29th of March, on Friday, I have managed to uh, get Rena involved in a video broadcast, and I might leave it at that for now. But if you're registered for the webinar, you will hear about the Rena and Amanda video broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Are you excited, Rena? Yeah, it sounds like fun, Amanda. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it will be fun. And we do get so many questions about strata committees. It's a kind of complex area when we're talking about elections and meeting procedures, who can stand, uh, who is eligible. It's something that comes up a lot inside my members forum. And it has been on my list for a while to do a deep dive into strata committees. I think if you look at um, the whole proxy farming concept, I mean, a lot of that has to do with electing a strata committee. Sometimes people don't Mm. want certain people on there and it becomes like a factionalised thing. So, I mean, in a sense, obviously the government has tried to remedy that, but there are still many ways of working around that, which we can also talk about too. (laughs) Mm. Yes, good point. Add it to my list. Extra slides, please. (laughs) Alrighty, I think that's it. Until next time. Okay, thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Rena. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?